Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, I hope and I trust that you have had a good morning wherever you have come from this week. Um, Just a couple of things before we jump into the book of Romans. We're going to be studying Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 this morning. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to there. Um, First is, uh, if you are a guest with us, whether you are in person or you're joining us on the live stream, we want to say welcome. We know that several, several people uh, tune in either during this time or they watch it later. And so we are so thankful for you gathering with us and allowing uh, your hearts and your minds to be um, led by God's Spirit as we open the Scriptures together. Um, It is good to be together this morning, and we are jumping back into a little bit of a modified fall ministry. You'll find more details in your your, um, bulletins this morning. We'll talk about some of them at the end of today's um, gathering, but this evening we are going to be jumping off, uh, Pastor Cameron and student ministry will be jumping off Wednesday night. We're going to be beginning again this week, and we're excited to do so and excited to uh, be back together. Um, if there is any way we can serve you during this week, our contact information is on our bulletin, which you might have in your hand, or you can find also on our website on our, um, on our live stream page. We are jumping into um, the book of um, Romans, and here, I, uh, you don't need to see that yet. There we go. That's the one you want. Otherwise, it's out of context for this morning. Um, We are jumping into the book of Romans. And if you recall, um, last week we talked about a Romans overview. And so um, we we won't go through all that again. I'll give just a brief uh, recap for those who are here. Um, But today, today, uh, one last announcement I wanted to give you. Today and and this week, actually, it's next Saturday. So not today, it's not this week, it's kind of next Saturday. Uh, There's a Zealand prayer walk. And you'll find information about that in our bulletin. But I had a great conversation with one of the pastors uh, in the area this past week from Grace Chapel. And there's going to be a bunch of people gathering at Lawrence Street Park to go there and to quickly disseminate into praying as they walk through Zealand. There's information in your bulletin about that, but if you are available and you don't have something already scheduled for that morning, uh, I believe it's at uh, meet at 8.30, so I know that runs into soccer for some families in this area, Uh, but it's a great opportunity to walk and to pray for our nation, for our city, for ourselves and our local communities. One of the things as we enter into what is turned out to be a very turbulent time, both in our nation, but also in the world, um, is, is our prayer needs to be just incredibly focused towards what God wants to do. And our lives have to be incredibly intentioned for what God wants from us. Um, this past weekend began the feast of Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Teruah, which is the feast of blowing, okay? It's where you blow the shofar. And what, what happens on Friday night this past week, it kicked off, and it goes for 10 days in the Jewish cycle, and they're known as the 10 days of awe. And there's several, several things that are uh, remembered and celebrated, but one of them is, so you have Rosh Hashanah, you have 10 days of awe, and then you have the Jewish festival or feast of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, also known as the Day of Atonement, is the highest, holiest day of the year in the Jewish calendar. And it's a day in which there's fasting, in which there is um, confession before God, 
in which people seek his face. And so I found it just absolutely fitting that our time of prayer next Saturday uh, with churches from this area is on this time. Uh, during the season in which uh, in Leviticus 23, God says, I want you to set apart time for prayer. If you can't join us on Saturday morning, I invite you to find another time intentionally, either Saturday or Sunday next weekend. Spend 30 minutes walking through either Zealand, if you live in Zealand, maybe your neighborhood in Holland, wherever you live, find that place. As you walk, pray. Pray for God to bring great healing to people. We know, we trust that healing is in the Messiah, Jesus. And that is what we want to share with others. And that is what Paul shared in the context of the Roman church. And so jumping into Romans chapter 12, here's just a brief reminder of where we were last week. We covered a lot of ground in 54 minutes, I think it was. But Paul is writing a letter, okay? This isn't a sterile book. It's a letter. It's a dynamic letter written to people at Rome, followers of Jesus at Rome. And, and Paul has not been to the Roman church there, uh, but he has a concern for these followers of Jesus. He wants them to know what right teaching and doctrine about the, the salvation message of Jesus is, but he also wants them to walk in a right manner. And so chapters 1 through 11 could be summarized this way. Uh, we summarized chapters 1 through 3 as condemnation. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans chapter 4, I believe, says, but they are justified by God's grace through faith in the Messiah, Jesus. And so you have, you have all man is lost before God. There is no one who is righteous, no, not one. And yet, God has brought justification and made justification possible through the work of Jesus, by dying and raising from the dead. All right? Not only that, then God gives his spirit. And God begins this work of sanctification, making us more holy. Our holy simply means to be set apart, set apart for the purposes of God. And you get to Romans chapter 8, and it says, spirit, 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 because God never intended us to be holy in and of our own selves. All right? We're made holy before God. In other words, God looks upon our sin and he doesn't look at it any longer because of Jesus. But he wants us to grow in holiness. And so we have this struggle with the flesh and this struggle with the spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, he says, the spirit's going to give you, the spirit's going to give you all these things that you need. Romans chapter 9 through 11 talks about how God will be faithful to his people Israel, how God's promises will be vindicated. How God made promises way back to the patriarchs and the forefathers. And if God makes a promise, God will keep it. God has not forgotten Jewish people, even though they have hardened themselves from him for a time. God has not forgotten them. They will come back. And they will look forward to that day in which all Israel will be saved, Romans chapter 11. We won't go into all the theology that is behind all that. But that is how you break down Romans 1 through 11. We get to Romans 12, and all of a sudden we have a whole bunch of commands. And, and look with me, please. We will, we will read this passage together. Um, stand with me, please, actually. Stand with me, please. Romans chapter 12, verses... We're, we're actually going to start in Romans chapter 11, because I think it's fitting to start in 1133 and hear Paul's doxology about who God is, and then go into chapter 12. So look with me, please. Romans 10, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to discern what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would lead and guide us into truth by your Spirit this morning. God, I yield myself again to you, asking you to speak through me. Asking for the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, once again to be made much of. God, we gather not because we want to hear words that might uh, pat ourselves on the back or might be interesting. We gather, God, because we want our lives to look different this week. As you say, so that you may be able to discern what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. God, by your spirit, help us to know that as we walk into this week. We pray for the sake of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. All right, so last week we said, in view of God's mercy, here is how we are to live. Note, all of this stuff is stuff that God does. Redemption is God's initiative on our behalf. We do not live in a certain kind of way, as we're going to study from Romans 12 and following. We don't live in a certain kind of way to achieve anything before God. We live in a certain way because God calls us to live in covenant. He calls us to abide. He calls us to walk with him. And he's saying, you want to walk with me? You, you want to worship me? You want to, you want to have a life that demonstrates what I have done in your life? by justifying you and by sanctifying you, he says, live in this way. And so that is where we are going. Chapter 12 and following underscore how God wants us to live in light of experiencing redemption in his name. So you will notice chapter 12, verse 1, you'll notice here, it says, therefore, we talked about that last week, brothers. Now notice this is plural, okay, plural. Brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, Okay, you there is plural. We won't go through the fantastic method Pastor Tom has shared with you a couple times about how to distinguish plurals. King James is really helpful on that. Most other translations in English are not because we don't use the you as a plural very often. We might say y'all, okay? The, the South has it right here. Here, uh, We urge y'all to present y'all's bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is y'all's spiritual worship, Okay. There, there's plurals in every you here, okay? Paul's talking to the community. One of the things that this reminds us of is that Paul doesn't just care about you and I as individuals. He cares about us. Now, when we jump into verse 3 next week, we'll find out there's a reason why he cares about us. There's a reason why he cares about Jews and Gentiles in the original context gathered to follow Jesus the Messiah at Rome. 
because there's fracture there. And he wants to talk to the whole community. He wants to teach them all how to honor him and how to walk after him together. Okay, together, even if you're at home, together. This is deeply important to Paul. Every verb here is a second person plural. Y'all be transformed in y'all's minds so that you all may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Um, so, so Paul's writing to the community. Now, he's also writing with great intensity. He says, therefore, brothers, I urge you. I urge you. You can hear this, not anguish, but this passion in his voice. He doesn't just say, hey, do this. He says, I want to urge you to do this. Whatever you're doing, friends, do this. This matters. It matters deeply. It matters deeply for what it means to follow God. Now, Paul says, I want you all to present your bodies. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Let's look at the word body here for just a minute. What we're going to do is we're going to pick a couple words out of each sentence because we're working with a small portion of text today. Um, He says bodies. Why does Paul say bodies? What is significant about this? Well, Greek and Roman culture of this time had a very low view of the body. In fact, one of the greatest threats to early Christianity is a belief system called Gnosticism, okay? Uh, Gnosticism, G-N-O is how it starts. Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism um, threatened the message of the gospel very, um, very uh, deeply, and and it's based upon two false premises, and I want to kind of highlight the first one for us today. The first one is this. Gnosticism believes that um, spirit and matter are two different things and they don't really come together. Okay, You have spirit on the one side and you have matter on the other. Gnostics would assert that matter is inherently evil and that spirit is good. So I think I had spirit on this side. Spirit, good. Matter, body, for example, bad. And as a result, the Gnostics believed that anything done in the body, even if it is the grossest of sins, it has no meaning because real life is a spiritual thing. Okay? So, so it separates the spirit and the body. And it says it's okay. We, we want to honor God or the gods in this way. But whatever we do in our body, it has no bearing. Okay, it's just something that's kind of frail and decaying, and and it doesn't matter. They had a low view of the body. Now, this is completely against the Christian teaching of the body. We'll look at that a little bit. Christians believe that their bodies belong to God, just as much as their souls, and that they can serve him just as well with their bodies as they can with their minds or their spirits. In other words, the Christian thought is that your mind and your your body or your soul, your spirit and your body all come together for the purpose of glorifying God. But Paul is directly wanting to assert, hey, I want you to take your bodies. I want you to take your bodies, your hands, your feet, your heart, your legs, your toes. I want you to take every bit of who you are and use it to worship the Lord. Now, look with me, please. Just back up to Romans chapter 6 really quick. And we'll kind of see how Paul begins to build this. Because one of the things that we know about our bodies is that they experience pain. They experience um, anguish of all sorts of kinds. You know, you pick up something the wrong way, you've got a back that hurts. Uh, 
all these different things. Um, we, we have this experience with our bodies that is um, one that is just broken and failing. Romans 6 verse 6 is this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished. Okay, So, so our bodies were sin's domain. But he says, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. He, he's building that this, this body is something that is once under sin's domain. But if you look a couple verses down at verse 12, um, actually, let's look at um, verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to, in Christ Jesus. And this isn't just a spiritual thing. This is actually a physical thing to some extent. He says, therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it, your body, to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, he says, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. So, Paul is directly kind of beginning to have this conversation of, you have this body that's decaying, you have this body that's experiencing mortality, and yet, in this body, I want you to, people, don't offer it for unrighteousness, offer it for righteousness. Honor God with your body. Um, a couple of pages, uh, probably, for you. Go to Romans chapter 8, please. <coughs> Romans chapter 8 Verse 10, look with me, please. This is in the context of all the spirit uh, conversation that's going on here. Uh, Romans 8, verse 10, please. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. In other words, there is this human, humanity that our bodies still exist, um, but they experience death and they experience it because of sin. But he says, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Okay, so your body's dead because of sin. One day, all of our bodies, except those who go directly uh, to be with the Lord when he comes and he returns, uh, except for those, and then you have a, you know, a renewed body anyway, but all of our bodies are going to die. All of our hearts are going to cease to beat at some point. Why? Because we've all experienced the condemnation of sin. But he says, even though your mortal body is going to die, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and he will bring your mortal bodies, your physical bodies, to life through his spirit who lives in you. And he says, verse 12, so then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is talking about a yieldedness to God's Spirit that says, mm, these are the things of, of, of the body. These are the, the, the deeds of death, you know, the lying and the selfish inhibitions and all the ways in which we dishonor God that he talks about in the early parts of Romans as examples. He says, I want you to put to death all those things by the power of the Spirit within you so that even in your mortal body you follow God. But not just that, one day your body will be made new. It will be renewed. And those of you and those of us who have eyes that don't see very well or who have legs that don't work very well or those of you who have experienced the, the frailty of living in the human world, 
Guess what? Romans 8.23. Look with me, please. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves. We eagerly wait for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, notice what God does not say. God does not say, I want you to bring a perfect body to me for me to use it. He says, I want you to bring yourself, yourself, with your age, with your bruises, with your scars, with your disabilities, with your sin, and with your weaknesses. I want you to come to me because I want to do a work in you. And I want to do a work not just of justifying you before the Father, not just of making you holy before God, but I want to actually place my spirit within you. And the newness that you experience in your spirit today is something that you will experience in body one day. The redemption of our bodies is one of the hopes that we have to look forward to at the resurrection. Not the resurrection of the Messiah, the resurrection of, of, of all. Um, he says, bring yourself with your bruises, your scars, your disabilities, your sins, and your weaknesses. We do not come to God perfect. Remember, we come to God in view of his mercy. In light of what God has done for us, our bodies matter. All right? Our bodies matter to God. And by the working of God's spirit, God will redeem them from the bondage to sin and death here on this earth. And with it, God wants righteous living to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, therefore, brothers, back to chapter 12 now. He says, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. Okay? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. Now, um, living sacrifices, let's talk about this for a minute, because it's a little bit of an oxymoron. What is a living sacrifice? Well, sacrifice was well known in the ancient world. And I'm not just talking about within the context of Judaism. Um, if you would go, for example, if I can get that going. Next slide, please. Um, if, if I could uh, get the next slide, that'd be great. David, can you click it? Thank you. Uh, we'll show you what I want you to see. Um, the next slide, here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you an altar. All right, not just within Judaism, but, but we have within other religions of the time, there are um, altars that they would sacrifice animals and other things upon. Paul talks about, I want you to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Um, the altar you're going to see, I'll give you the description so that you'll just be amazed when you see it. Um, it's the altar to Dionysius. This happens, uh, th this is predates Jesus by, that's not it. Um, uh, <laughs> They're doing a fantastic job today. Just, just as an aside, um, there, was a, there was a wedding here yesterday. And so whenever that happens, just awesome ways to celebrate, to becoming one, all this kind of stuff. But Sunday mornings become a little more challenging whenever there's something on Saturday night here. And so they are doing an awesome job. Um, but what you are going to see is an altar to Dionysius that predates Jesus by 400 years. And Dionysius, for those of you who know or don't know, he's the Greek god of wine and merrymaking. And so you would go to a theater and you would uh, offer up an, a sacrifice 
to the gods. Ah, there we go. There you go. So you can see the theater. You can also see the center of this altar. And so they would take an animal there. They would sacrifice it. And it was part of the typical pagan ritual. All right? It's not just Judaism that has certain sacrifice laws. It's actually much more widespread than that. Uh, and um, these sacrifices would be a part of every performance that would take place within this theater. So you'd go to the theater, you'd offer the sacrifice, and then you'd go on with whatever pagan-type ritual was going to happen next. Now, typically, a sacrifice would face a very untimely death, all right? Whether it's a bull, or it's a goat, or it's a lamb, it life always ends a little perhaps too soon for this. And so Paul says, I want you to live your lives as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Why? Because the body matters. Because life matters to God. He wants you to give your all, just like all was given for a sacrifice, but he wants it to be living. How we speak, how we think, what our hands do where our hearts go, where our feet trod. The sacrifice that God wants is a living sacrifice. In other words, he wants us to live for God. There is no longer a sacrifice needed for atoning for one's sins before God. That was one of the purposes of the Hebrew um, sacrifices, was, was to have these, these atonement offerings, or these sin offerings, or to have these fellowship offerings. There's different kinds of offerings. And they were given as things towards God, but God wants, he says here in Romans chapter 12, he says, I, I want you to have a living sacrifice, one that is living, breathing, that is set apart to do the work and the will of God, one that walks faithfully with me regardless of the situation. Now, the word here for worship within this passage, it says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy or set apart and pleasing to God. He says, this is your, y'all's, spiritual worship. The word here for worship is a word that is used uh, primarily um, to, to mean, it, it came to mean this, that to which a person gives his whole life. All right? So when he's, when he's saying worship here, he's not just saying, I want you to stand up and sing a song, although that's one way we can worship. He's not just saying, I want you to open the text. Although that's one way you can worship. Study is actually one of the highest forms of worship in the time of Jesus. Study which leads to repentance and, and obedience. He wants all of our lives to be worship unto God. And he wants not just part of us, he wants all of us. Every bit. And I love how William Barclay describes it. We had it. I don't know what happened. Can you hit next slide, please? Unless it's my fault. He says this, true worship is the offering of one's, sorry, true worship is the offering to God of one's body and all that one does every day with it. Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy, however noble, there we go, however noble and ritual and however magnificent. He says, real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. Not something to be carried out in a church, but something which sees the whole world as the temple of the living God. Let me read that one more time. True worship is the offering to God of one's body in all that one does every day with it. <clears throat> Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy, however noble, in a ritual, however magnificent. 
Real worship is the offering of everyday life to him, not something carried out in a church, but something which sees the whole world as the temple of the living God. The whole world, every part, as the temple of the living God. Let me ask you this. How do you view worship? All right? How, how do you view worship? Maybe put it this way. How, how do you view your life and what God intends for you this day, tomorrow? Think about this question. Tomorrow, I am going to, what are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do on Tuesday? What are you going to do on Wednesday? What has God given you to do with your mind and your body? Tomorrow, I am going to maybe work at the hospital. I'm going to the hospital and I'm going to worship God. Maybe you're homeschooling or you're online schooling right now. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to school to worship God. Maybe you work in a factory, first, second, third shift. Maybe you're pulling double shifts sometimes. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to the factory and I'm going to worship God. Maybe you're going to go to the grocery store. Maybe you're in quarantine right now. This past week, our family underwent some change. We're kind of between houses right now. And we had an enormous amount of people who gave of their time and their heart and their life to worship God by picking up things. How many of you love to move? It's about what I thought. Okay, good. Um, It's hard stuff. It's time investment stuff. It's emotionally draining stuff. And yet God, in our case, brought person after person after person either through muscle or through speech or through space or through text message, they brought people along to encourage and to uphold us. They worshiped God. Tomorrow, in fact, today, you could say, what are you going to do to worship God? What, What does God have before you? God wants that to be an offering of your everyday life to him not just something that happens here within a congregational meeting. Now he says in verse um, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Okay, so he uses this word, do not be conformed. In the ancient period, Paul uh, is describing a process that in, in the ancient period, Um, you would take a mold and you would press clay into it. Or you might take uh, a hot silver or something like that and you might pour it into a mold and you might make a coin. He says, I don't want you to conform yourselves in the way in which artisans take material and they press it into something. I, I don't want you to be conformed by the world around you such that it presses you into its mold. Rather... Uh, he, he, he wants our lives to look different. He wants our lives to be fashioned after the, the renewing of your minds and the transforming of our lives by the Spirit. But there's a lot of us here who have our, our lives conformed in one way or another. I, I remember years ago, I used to listen to a lot of um, political talk and such, And one of the things that inevitably happened is I would become very frustrated, annoyed, and even angry, 
Okay, this was back in the days I worked at Taco Bell for a good season of my life, uh, years and years and years ago. Get out of my car, and I'd be just mad by the morning. And it finally, it hit me. One of the things that's going on with all forms of media is they want you to do something. They want you to feel something. They want you to react away. Some of them have um, joy and peace infiltrated within them. Many of them have anger and selfishness and all these kinds of things that aren't terribly healthy for our lives. What's happening is that things around us want to conform us into their image. Now, the way in which our lives are conformed looks a little bit differently for many of us. It might be one thing for one person. It might be another thing for another person. But there are these principles of this age that Paul says, I don't want you to be conformed to the things that mark the age in which we live. You can go back to Romans chapter 1 and kind of find some of those marks. Um, there's these things that mold us. I love what Ray Stedman <clears throat> says. He says, one of the things that most dominates the pattern of our age is self-promotion and pride. Now, we remember from Scripture in Genesis, pride was the original downfall of the man, all right? It, or the woman, and then the man. You know, it's, it's, if you eat this, won't you be like God's? Eve goes, yeah, because she wanted to be something that God never created her to be. This desire to have ourselves as the center of the universe is common to us all, is it not? What, what marks our age is I'm number one and everyone else is number two. And one of the things that's difficult about this age is that there's people who will say, I'm not number one, but they really think they are number one. <laughs> so we have to have a wisdom and a discernment that comes from the Spirit to say, what is right? What is true? What in my life conforms me to this age? And I would imagine that most of us here have something in our lives that conforms us to an age, to a pattern of this age that leads us to make decisions that really are more based upon what we want rather than what God wants. Godly living happens and occurs by being transformed, instead of being conformed, but by being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may be able to discern what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Uh, I love what one pastor says. Uh, someone shared this with me earlier this week. Godly living starts with godly thinking. How we think helps to transform our lives to follow God. All right? Godly living starts with godly thinking. Being transformed happens by the renewing of our minds, which begs the question, what goes into our minds? Is it garbage or is it truth? You know the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Truth in, what comes out? Truth. Yeah, the, the working of the Spirit, the more we allow ourselves 
and yield ourselves to God, the more he does a work in us to transform not just our salvation lives, because he's done that, but, but he wants to transform our minds so that we think a certain way, so we act in accordance with that thought. He wants our lives and our minds especially to be renewed because our minds matter to God, because what guides a lot of our bodies are our minds. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, okay, there's a reason for this, so that you may be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Now, one of the things that caught me in my study was this word perfect. We think perfect is like, like without flaw or something. Uh, and you can describe it that way. Perfect here in the context refers to the highest standard. The highest standard. You know, you, you don't want just a standard that's good enough. You want the highest standard that you are aiming for. You want the best of the best coming into your mind so that you may know God's will, God's heart. And God has given that to us. Uh, some of you know, uh, perhaps if you know me, you know I love coffee. Um, and I did something yesterday that I do, I do not do very often. I stopped at a gas station and got coffee. It was a challenge. <laughs> That is no shame on anyone who loves gas station coffee. It was actually better than I was expecting. Um, but I began roasting coffee a couple years back, and I just love high-quality coffee. Actually, only 10% of the coffee in the world is specialty grade. So 90% of it <clears throat> is not. And um, one of the things uh, that you begin to notice, the, the more you taste better coffee, is that it's a lot better than other coffee. <laughs> And one of the things you can tell, too, as coffee cools, um, you begin to know whether or not it's really good or not. Now, I know some of you, like my friend Joel out there, he hates coffee anyway, and he just thinks it should all go away because it's bleh. My point is this. We want the best, the highest standard of what God wants to come into our lives. Not just the gas station stuff. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We want our hearts and our minds to be conformed by the truth of God. Not a half-truth, not a partial truth. God wants to renew our minds so that we know what his good, his pleasing, and his perfect, his highest standard is. And it's not that in and of our own strength we're going to achieve this or to attain this, but the more we allow our hearts and our minds to be transformed by what is right and what is true, guess what happens? Certain kind of living comes out of our lives. Living that's described in scripture by this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I hit all of them. Our lives then become marked by the fruit of God's Spirit. And actually, when we see that fruit of the Spirit in our life, it's a reminder to us that God is transforming us and that God is working. Now, it may not be perfectly loving. <laughs> it may not be perfectly patient. Trust me, the last week I've had, I've not been perfectly patient. But the more... We allow our hearts and our minds to be guided by truth. God begins to teach us what it means. And he gives us his spirit to know what is right, to do what is right. And we have fruit that looks amazing. 
Now, Paul has spent, uh, in chapter 11, he spent some time talking about how Gentiles are grafted into this root of the Jewish faith, Romans 11, 17 through 24. And, and Jesus said that the result of his followers abiding in him was that, that they would bear much fruit, John 15. And so Paul, I think, and, and I, I like what Todd, Dr. Todd Boland says here, there, there's a lot of um, similarities between what Paul is saying here. You, you, you're, you're grafted into a vine. You're connected. What comes out? Fruit. The greater the connection, the greater the abiding. Jesus says in John 15, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The more we abide, the more fruit God produces in our life. Fruit of righteousness and peace and joy. Fruit of forgiveness. Fruit of unconditional love. This is what God wants to work in in us. Elsewhere in scripture it says, by beholding we become changed. The more we look at who God is, the more we have a sense and the more he transforms us. We have a sense of what is right, but he transforms us to look more and more like his son. Now, this all comes through the context of covenant. Covenant. And remember, covenant is just a big word that means relationship. Relationship. In other words, we abide in Christ. We have this relationship that results in fruit. The less we abide in Christ, or if you don't know Christ, the fruit looks a whole lot different. Likely an absence of fruit, or rotten fruit, or poisoned fruit. At the core of the worship that God wants us to live out is walking in relationship with God such that as he lives through us, our lives become those things which reflect which, those things that are deepest upon his heart. True worship happens when we allow God to live through us and produce spiritual fruit. And that happens in our bodies, it happens in our minds, it happens in every facet of our life. Tomorrow, or today, how are you going to worship God? What is God going to ask you to do that's in keeping with his word? And it may be tough. But what will God give you the grace and the patience needed to endure? Let's just pray for a moment here this morning. God, I confess that my life often does not look the way you want it to look. And yet, God, I, I come, we come, desperately needing your spirit to live through us. And so we yield ourselves to you, God. We say, here's our sin, here's our body, here's all the frailty and all the things that we think we cannot do. And God, for those things that you call us to, guide us in truth and give us the desire and the power to do those things which would result in spiritual life. 
spiritual fruit, the, the living out of our faith. God, give us a great passion for your word. Help us to understand it rightly so that we can walk faithfully. God, forgive us for the pride in our life, the ways in which we want to pursue our own agenda rather than the kingdom. We bless you, Lord, our God. You are king. You are sovereign over all. You call us, God, to live in relationship with you. What a gift it is. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, if there's any way that you need to process part of what God's doing in your life, please feel free to reach out uh, to one of us. We'd love to be able to talk and walk you through that. We are each on a journey of living uh, for the glory of God. Um, we're going to...